At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Monkey Boss Vegas. Progressive Seeps with myself, Greg Eats And now for the decent family of podcasts. We got a tremendous podcast for you. It is the Greg Peterson Bracket Special. So we are not going to be going with a guest. Just in segment number two, I'm going to go through the round of 64 games. For those of you guys looking to play some initial bets, I will go through all the current lines, give you guys what I like as of right now. And when we get to the day of the games, don't worry, I will go through them as well on Friday and Thursday. So I've got you guys all covered there. I'm just going to be a little bit more brief with it because I do know that many of you guys... Some of you that are listening to this, you do a bracket and you don't do as many bets. Some of you do a lot of bets and you don't do as much with regards to brackets. So we're going to serve both of these markets today. So we've got you guys all covered. And if you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be able to send. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Only question I had is gauging bets versus bracket. And I do think that with regards to your betting, it should be a little bit different than some of your actual bets. Like, you're going to notice that I'm going to have a couple upsets on my bracket where with those teams, it's not like I place them as 15-point underdogs and I'm going to be like laying X amount of points with insert your two seed here, but I'm taking the 15 seed on the bracket. So, I mean, I'm still going to be taking these underdogs with regards to my bets, but at the same time, if I'm relatively close on a game, I'm going to decide, you know what, I'm going to be riding with it just because we do see some wackiness in March. Like, a lot of people know that my crowning achievement with regards to picking an upset was that Oral Roberts versus Ohio State upset that I called two seasons ago. That was one where I did set Ohio State on my line as a favorite, and as a matter of fact, they were close to about a 10 to an 11-point favorite, but I just felt like with Oral Roberts, they matched up really well. That line was right around 15. I thought, you know what? I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on the money line. I'm going to advance Oral Roberts in my bracket. This just feels right, and I did so. And plus, you should probably have a little bit of a different bracket based on the scoring system of your bracket league as well because there are some leagues like General ESPN where every single pick you get right, it's worth like... 10 points in the first round, 20 points in the round of 32, and then it goes to 40, 80, what have you. 
If you get double points for upsets, you probably want to be taking a few more upsets as well. I'm going to be doing my bracket as if it's standard ESPN where you get 10 points for every correct pick in round one, 20 for round two, 40, 80, what have you. So just for a little bit of context there, but I do think that different scoring systems should cause you to have a little bit of a different bracket. So I will throw that in there as well. And I do think that it is very, very important to just keep that in mind as well. Don't do the exact same with your bets as you're going to be doing with your bracket. You can feel free to get a little bit more frisky with regards to some of those upsets. I certainly am. You're going to notice that there's a team or two. It's not a ton, but there is a team or two. There are double-digit seeds that I'm taking with my bracket that I'm merely going to take the points with with regards to my bets. So there is that. And let's take a look at everything that we did get on Sunday. The five games that we had that set up everything that we are getting in March Madness. So let's try to find out a little bit more about these teams and try to give you guys a few trends along the way as well. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. The Big Ten Tournament saw a harebrained game at the end as Penn State, they very nearly pull off the upset as they were down big in the second half. They were down 15 points with about seven minutes remaining. Came back to make it a two-point game, 67-64. The final in this one, Purdue, they get a one seed. Penn State gets a 10 seed as Penn State shot just 7-23 from three, but they saved their best for the end. And you did see Purdue go 13-20 at the free throw line. So that was a game that it got rather interesting late. Our DKNH pick of Alabama got through as they got awarded the number one overall seed. They take down Texas A&M 82-63. I know that some of you that took an under on 144.5 were not happy about the ending of this game, but Brandon Miller looked terrific. 23 points, 12 rebounds. Charles Bediaco had 13 rebounds, and Noah Clowney had 11 as Alabama won the rebound battle 50-37. And for Texas A&M, rough go of it from the floor. They shot 30% from the field. Alabama has been mauling with their defense all season long. VCU got into the tournament with their win over Dayton, 68-56, to and a rough beat if you, like me, at over 124.5. Dayton misses all their final 15 shots. They go 3 of 22 from three-point range. VCU completely controlled this game. They get a 12 seed. Honestly, I feel like they probably should have deserved an 11 seed. They played really well down the stretch, and say VCU team, I think, can be quite frisky with regards to the NCAA tournament without Marcus Sasser. Memphis, they were able to get the job done. They get the auto bid from the Americans, 75 to 65. The final in this one as Memphis won 6 of 12 from 3. Kendrick Davis, who I think is going to be an X factor in the tournament. 31 points, 5 rebounds, 0 turnovers. Very good stat line without having Sasser in the full Jamal shed. He did a solid job of 16 points and Juan Roberts. 20 rebounds in this game as he did have Eason win the rebound battle 42-36, to but still a relatively rock-solid result for Memphis as they were able to get it done in that one. And then in the Ivy League final, it was Princeton who got the auto bid on a 15 seed. They took down Yale on their own floor, 74 to 65. Yale goes 8 of 22 from 3, and Yale won the top defensive teams in all of college basketball, but could not overcome losing the rebound battle by 5, and could not overcome losing the turnover battle by 5. And we have seen all season long in college basketball, a lot of overs hitting, but what we've noticed over the last seven days is it feels like what we're typically normally finding 
And what we typically find this time of year is more unders coming to the forefront. Last seven days of college basketball, unders 115.94. And I believe that we had one push thrown in there as well. A 55% under rate. Favorites really cleaned up this last week as well, hitting at 55.1%. 114.93 and three against the spread. Overall for the season, overs are hitting at 52%. 2,871 and 2,649, but certainly we have been seeing more of those unders being able to come through recently. We shall see if that continues in the NCAA tournament. Now that we have gotten a little bit of an introduction out of the way, we aren't going to be wasting any more time. Coming up next, I give you guys my bracket for the 2023 NCAA tournament, round of 64 in segment number two. Everything else, round to 32 and beyond in the final segment. Right here, I'm Chris with myself, Craig Peterson, now part of this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, 
Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Vegas. We're coming together with myself, Greg Ips Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. We're keeping this podcast very simple today. I am not going to be going with a guest, so I'll have on guests all throughout the week taking a look at these absolutely tremendous matchups because it is the best time of year. Every single year, right after the bracket comes out, the question I always get asked is, what is my bracket? So we're keeping this thing simple. This segment, I'm just giving you all my picks in the round of 64. In the final segment, we're going to go through round of 32 through my national champion. reason why the round of 64 gets its own segment is because, for one, we do have a few betting lines up, which I'm going to touch on. This is going to be a little bit more of a bracket segment. I will give you guys what I like initially, but as we know, numbers move. So if you're looking for bets, I've got the spreadsheet up at unit underscore 81 on Twitter. So... I do have you guys all covered there, but we're going to touch upon that briefly. But with that said, just going to go through all my bracket picks. Get your pen and paper ready. We're going through the round of 64, and we are starting up right about now with bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Going to start in the south, then going to go to the east, going to go to the Midwest after that, and then we go to the West. So let's get things started, and I will give you guys a play-in winners as well because the first region, that is Alabama's region, it is Alabama against the winner of Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, along with Southeast Missouri State. And there are times to get bold with your bracket. I would not encourage you to take either Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, or Southeast Missouri State. Now, if you're looking from a betting perspective, I do like Texas A&M, Corpus Christi in this matchup currently. I'm seeing them as a three and a half to a four point favorite. The total on this game between 152 and a half and 153 and a half. I do like the over. You've got a pair of teams that are in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game. Texas A&M Corpus Christi, very good at being able to generate steals and Southeast Missouri State. They are missing their top rebounder in Kobe Clark, so I do think that that would be a relatively rough one. So, initial thoughts, I think that Texas A&M Corpus Christi should be a six-half point favorite with a total of 158.5. So, looking over and looking at Corpus Christi, I've got them advancing if you do first four matchups, but not the time to get cute. Alabama, a top 20 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Against SEC foes, they allowed 70 points or fewer in all but two of their games there. This team has been rock solid. I 
recognize that they've got the concerns with the Brandon Miller situation. It certainly did cause for a little bit of hoopla off the court, but this is not the time to be picking against Alabama. They've got three-point shooting. They are actually the best three-point shooting defense away from home in all of college basketball as well. Corpus Christi, they've got someone in Isaac Mushala that's relatively solid for Southeast Missouri State. They shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, but this, again, not the time to get bold with your brackets. So, take Alabama against whoever comes out of that 16-seed matchup. Next up, we've got the 8-9 matchup. This is Maryland versus West Virginia, and I did set Maryland as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. If you're looking at the betting line, West Virginia is a favorite. I like Maryland outright on the money line. I'm seeing a total of a 140 to a 140 and a half. I set my total 136, so initial lean on initial numbers is the under as well. But with Maryland, this team has done a very good job of being able to hit the road with their defense, while West Virginia, they are well outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And it's a West Virginia team that does have a good primary scorer in Eric Stevenson. He's been able to give the team 20-plus points in five out of their last six games, but he is very much a heat check guy. With West Virginia as well, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game. You've got guys like Dante Scott, Julian Reese for Maryland that are able to give you right around 13 rebounds per game out of the two of them, and I think that Jameer Young might be the best player in this game as well. 16 points, four boards, four assists, just a nice statute suffer going against the West Virginia team that is 138th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Maryland was one of the few teams in the Big Ten that their defense traveled. They only gave up 1.7 points more per 100 possessions when they were away from home than when they were at home. West Virginia looking to play a little bit faster. Maryland, they're looking to play that slow, grimy pace, and I do think that they are going to have some success with it. So, I do like Maryland to survive in advance in that one. We now go to the 12 versus 5 matchup. This is Charleston and San Diego State. If you're looking from a betting perspective, I did set San Diego State as a favorite of 6 points. Right now, I'm seeing them between a 4.5 and a 5-point favorite, and I'd be willing to lay that total between 141 and 142, semi-total 142. So, if you're seeing initial 141, I do like this total over as well. But I've got San Diego State advancing in my bracket, and I've got them getting the job done. Now, with Charleston, it's a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach in that they play 9 different guys. You don't necessarily have that one guy that's going to go out there and just give you a Herculean amount of scoring. Dalton Bolin has really been your top scorer with about 13 points per game. Charleston, a mid-33 point shooting team. But what I like about San Diego State, they're really getting back to their roots. And what San Diego State's roots are is playing slow, doing a tremendous job on defense, and not beating themselves. Charleston has been good at being able to win the turnover battle all season long, being able to get those second, third chances. Now, if you do have a little bit of a fear with San Diego State, it is the fact that even though they're 27th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they are giving up a right around 9.4 points more per 100 possessions. And this is a Charleston team that they're 14th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They give up 1.6 points more per 100 possessions away from them, actually a top-10 defense away from home, a team that's been able to knock off Virginia Tech this year. I know that so many people are saying, yeah, they don't have any quad one wins. Well, my rear end, they've beaten teams. We all know that the CAA relatively solved teams like Hoffs or what have you, but I like the way that San Diego State has rounded into form. Jaden Ladie has been able to come in off the bench, do a solid job down low. Nathan Menza is one of the 
better uh, big man defenders that you're going to find in college basketball. And Matt Bradley is able to be a takeover scorer that's able to give you 14, 15 points per game. Adding a guy like a Micah Parrish in the transfer portal. Comes in from Oakland. Good sharpshooter. You've also been able to have Darian Trammell be able to take a little bit of a load off of Matt Bradley in terms of scoring. So there's more scoring options for San Diego State than a season ago. I do think it's big. Going to be a little bit of a tempo war. San Diego State is looking to slow things down. But San Diego State at the beginning of the year, they were playing a little bit faster as well. So they are a little bit more able to adapt to that. So I do like San Diego State to be able to Dave off elimination in this one, and I'd like them to be able to cover the spread. I like them on the four and a half to five point spread at like a 141, 140 and a half even. I do like this total over as well, so I do like the five seed to be able to overcome the upset there and be able to survive in advance. Now you've got the 4-13 matchup, Furman versus Virginia. If you're looking on the betting line, Virginia's five to five and a half point favorite. Total's ending between 133 and 134 and a half, and this is going to be a spot where I'm going to take a look at the under because Virginia, bottom five team in terms of total possessions per game, and I'm not going to take them outright on the money line, but in my bracket, I did take Furman. On my betting spread, I set Virginia as a two and a half point favorite. So I've got a three point edge on Furman. And this is where I think is a good spot to take a little bit of an upset because Virginia is going to be without one of their top rebounders of Ben Vanderplas. That means that Jaden Gardner, who's been able to give the team thus far this year right around 12 points, five and a half rebounds per game, he needs to do everything down low. And Virginia just really didn't look good down the stretch. Even the win that they had at home against Duke, I mean, they should have lost that game. Virginia has been okay with their perimeter defense, but this Furman team has a guy by the name of Jalen Slauson who's able to give you a triple-double on any given night. He gives you right around 16 points, seven boards, four plus assists, a block, a steal. You need him to sell hot dogs at the hot dog stand. He's going to be willing to do that for you. Mike Bothwell is able to shoot threes. Garrett Hine is able to shoot threes. Furman does a nice job of not beating themselves. Now, it is a Furman team that has left a little bit of something to be desired, but they were rounding into form towards back half of the season with regards to that defense as well. Overall, 177th is Furman in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but I like the way that this Furman team has been able to play. You really don't have dominating size for Virginia, though you do have Reese Beekman, Kia Clark. They combine for right around 10 and a half, 11 assists per game. They don't necessarily beat themselves, but with Virginia not necessarily being the world's greatest team at being able to generate steals, not necessarily having a ton of size, I think that this is a Furman bunch that they are able to take down Virginia in this spot. I like this matchup for them. On my bracket, I advance a 13 seed in Furman. On the betting spread, getting five to five and a half points, I'm just going to take the points and avoid the money line, but also looking at that under as well. And then we've got the 6-11 matchup. This is going to be NC State and Creighton. I did advance Creighton in my bracket, and right now if you're taking a look at the betting spread, it's anywhere between 5 and 5.5, seeing an initial total of 147.5. I did set Creighton as a 6.5 point favorite, so I'd be willing to lay that 5 to 5.5. And did set my total of 148.5. I'm going to be looking at the over with NC State. This team has completely fallen down with their defense here down the stretch. They were actually a top 75 defense at one point in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And then from there, towards the back half of February into March, let's just say that things have been less than savory for an NC State team that they're looking to push tempo, a top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game. But in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, NC State, much like much of the ACC, comes in in bad form, 120th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, Creighton doesn't necessarily have super Metrics like they're 72nd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, and they're giving up over 10 points more per one hour possessions. But there's a reason why Crane's metrics are a little bit warped. 
Keep in mind, Ryan Kalkbrenner, their main big man, he was out due to injury throughout much of non-conference play, and that as a result, most of those games were road-slash-neutral-court games. That makes Creighton not look like the team that you want them to be, but with Creighton, they are able to have that gentleman and Mr. 7'1", Ryan Kalkbrenner down low that's able to give you 15 points, 6 half boards. He's fully healthy. You've got also Baylor Shireman, who comes in from South Dakota State. He's been able to shoot it well from three-point range, and the biggest key for Creighton that not a lot of people are talking about they are turning the ball over far less than they did a season ago. Ryan Nemard has done a good job of being able to rein that in. Right around 12 points, 5 assists per contest. Last year, he was a walking turnover. Sarah Lee would have been very proud of his turnover creation. He's only giving you right around 2 turnovers per game this season. Meanwhile, with NC State, you've got a pair of guys and Jarkel Joyner, Traquavian Smith. They both give you right around 17 to 17 half points per game. Decent 3-point shooters. Casey Marcel has been rock solid with that. And ever since DJ Turned Up Burns has been able to get into the starting lineup, he's been averaging right around 15 points, 6 rebounds per game, but Jack Clark, he's been a little bit banged up throughout the entirety of the season. Creighton does a good job of being a rebound by a committee. Now, Creighton needs to avoid injury. They are not a very deep team. With that said, Creighton has much more top-end talent. I like their guards more than NC State. I think Creighton survives advances, and on the 5-5.5 to five and a half point spread, looking at that with Creighton laying it and looking at an over on 147.5 or less as well, and then in the 3-14 matchup, you've got Baylor taking on UC Santa Barbara, the old Gauchos. I'm going to be advancing the three seed in Baylor, and right now I'm seeing Baylor as an 11-point favorite pretty much across the board. This is one where I'd be waiting a little bit more because I did set my spread at 11 as well, and you can be patient on some of these lines. So if we see like a 10, 10 and a half pop up, I'd be willing to lay it with Baylor. This gets up to 11, 11 and a half, I'd be willing to take the points. So I mean, on the 11, I would just be in wait mode. I'm seeing a total of 143 and a half, and I'm willing to take that under. What I noticed with Baylor is that they, in conference play, actually throttled down their tempo quite a bit, playing at right around five possessions per game fewer when they were in conference rather than when they were out of conference. So I do think that that is a big key with regards to the total on UC Santa Barbara. They're a bottom 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, and UC Santa Barbara, I do think it's good to be able to do an okay job of holding in this game. I don't think that this is going to be blowout city because with UC Santa Barbara, I actually got to see them up close and in person in Anderson. They've got relatively good size, and for Santa Barbara, they're actually giving up 4.6 points fewer per one hour possessions when they leave home. That's one of the most demonstrative splits that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Guys like an Andre 3000 Kelly, who is averaging 13.89 rebounds per game at Cal. He's got size. He's going to be able to match up down low with everyday John Jonathan Chamachachua, who's been the energizer bunny for Baylor. Baylor really needs to get LJ Cryer going as well. 15.5 points per game. He shoots about 40% from three-point range. I mean, we all talk about Keontae George. We talk about also Adam Flagler, but when... LJ Cryer's putting up buckets, that's when Baylor's really at their best. And I do think that for UC Santa Barbara, AJ Mitchell is going to be able to do an okay job defensively against them, but I do think that Baylor going to find enough shots to be able to get the job done, though I do think that this is going to be a game that's hurled down. So if you're looking at that total, I like it under. Advancing Baylor in my bracket with Baylor, would willing to lay up to 10.5 with them on a spread as well. And then let's go to the 7-10 matchup. This is going to be Missouri taking on Utah State. And on my bracket, I do have Missouri being able to survive in advance if you're looking at the betting perspective of this game. I did set Missouri as a two-point favorite, and as I'm doing this, I'm seeing Utah is actually the one-and-a-half to two-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take Missouri outright on the money line over Utah State, and this is a total that's down to about 152.5 to 154.5. I'm looking at the over. Missouri's one of the fastest teams in all of college basketball, and neither of these teams have necessarily been, shall we say, prolific with their defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. 
Utah State 114th in all of college basketball, and that's actually marked improvement for them since beginning part of the season. Missouri is 244th, but Missouri is an all-or-nothing gamble for Steele's team, and then they are in the top 10 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Now, if they don't get a turnover, it's a little bit of doomsday for them, and they are going up against the Utah State team that is a top-five team in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage, as you got Steve Ashworth, who's been able to supply about 15, 16 points per game. She's well over 40% from three-point range. They've got the Funk and Taylor Funk. He's been able to shoot it well from three-point range as well. Daniel Aiken is able to do an okay job down low in Missouri. Not necessarily the best team on the glass, but Utah State, they're not necessarily prolific on the boards as well. So Kobe Brown, six-foot-eight combo player, who's been able to supply Missouri with like 15 points, six boards, shoots over 40% per three. Should be able to have himself a day. Missouri's been without Trago Million, but I mean, they still are able to go eight deep. They've got so many guys like Kashawn East who's able to distribute. Nick Honor shoots it well from three-point range. You've just got weapons upon weapons. Missouri's an artillery shop when it comes to being able to shoot from three-point range. So I do think that Missouri should be able to stave off an upset. I think that they are able to survive in advance in the 7-10 matchup. Looking at them outright on the money line and from a betting perspective, looking at the over. And then we've also got Arizona versus Princeton. I'm advancing Arizona on my bracket, and I'm willing to lay the number that I'm seeing right now before me. I'm seeing them open up as a 13.5 to a 14-point favorite with the total 152.5 to 153.5. So my total 151.5. Princeton actually a top 100 team. There's a point slot on a per-possession basis, and giving up right around 1.5 points fewer per 100 possessions when they leave home. But Arizona, since the turn of the calendar, they've been a top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and though Princeton is a top 30 team with regards to rebound rate, now you have to go up against Giants of the Earth, Azulis Tabellis, along with Umar Balo. Both of these guys individually average 8 plus rebounds per game. Tabellis is able to fire it in in the mid-30s from 3 range. I recognize that Kirk Kadisa was dealing with a little bit of an injury to his shoulder, but he should be good to go in this one. You've been able to have Cedric Henderson be able to step up for this team as well, so... I do think that Arizona has all the goods. It's a Princeton team that they've got a guy by the name of Tosan Avalman. He's a six foot eight, little bit of point forward, gives you 14 points, six boards, five assists. Sachi suffered, but Princeton also not the same three point shooting team that they were a season ago as well. They get a little bit careless with the ball. You'd say the same about Arizona, but Princeton unable to generate swipes. So I do like Arizona being able to lay the number in terms of a betting perspective and being able to survive in advance in terms of the bracket. Now we head to the East. This is Purdue's region. And Purdue is going to be facing off against the winner of Texas Southern versus Fairleigh Dickinson. Once again, there are times to take a gamble with your bracket. Don't take Fairleigh Dickinson or Texas Southern. Neither of these teams are teams that you want. Fairleigh Dickinson, well, they hope to be fairly priced in the betting market as if you take a look at their matchup against Texas Southern, I do like Texas Southern to be able to win this game. And right now I'm seeing Texas Southern as about a two-point favorite, and I'd be willing to lay that. I did set Texas Southern as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm also looking at the over semi-total at 150 and a half. Texas Southern has been playing at warp speed, top 40 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They should be able to control things down low. They've got Jordan Carl Nicholas, who's been able to give you nine and a half rebounds per game at Texas Southern. Four separate guys that give you at least four rebounds per game. Fairly Dickinson does not have a single guy that gives you five plus rebounds per game. Guys like Joe Munden Jr. are going to need to go crazy from three-point range out. Texas Southern has collected. They shoot below 30% from three. They get here with 20 straight-up losses. But the NEC was by far the worst conference in all of college basketball. I mean, if you take a look at their metrics on Kempom, you get a big, giant, frowny face. Fairly Dickinson, I mean, congratulations on being able to get here, but you didn't even win your own conference tournament. You got here by default because of 
Mary Men of Mary Meth were wrongfully not allowed to partake in the NCAA tournament because the NCAA is archaic. So with that, I'm going to be advancing Texas Southern on the first four, and I'm willing to lay up to two with them. Also taking a look at the over in that spot as well. I think it could be close enough to where you do get some late game felling. So that can bode for some happy action fun time as well as our good friend at Vs and West Reynolds would say. But now let's get into this juicy 8-9 matchup. You've got yourself Florida Atlantic versus Memphis. And if you're looking at a betting perspective, Memphis, I'm currently seeing open up as a one and a half to a two-point favorite. And I'm willing to advance Memphis in my bracket and I'm willing to lay that number. I did set Memphis as a favorite of two and a half points. So I'd be willing to lay up to two with them. We shall see where this number moves because I do think that this is a very much fascination. But I do think that Memphis is able to get the job done in this spot just because they've got Kendrick Davis. And Kendrick Davis is a heck of a point guard that does a great job of being able to maneuver. He's been able to average 21.5 points, 6 assists per game. And it feels like Memphis is starting to turn it on with their defense. I recognize that Marcus Sasser was on the fold for Houston on Sunday, but Memphis was able to play some great defense in that one. And that's really been one of the lifebloods of Penny Hardaway's teams. They always do a good job of playing really that 40 minutes of AG double hockey six aisle. They're right around 60th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis now. Florida Atlantic, a very well-rounded team. They're in the top 30 nationally in terms of points scored and points a lot on a per-possession basis. You've got three separate guys, Elijah Mitchell, John L. Davis and Vladislav Golden. That all give you between five and a half and six rebounds per game. Double figures. Brian Greenlee has been able to do a nice job of helping out in the backcourt as well. It's a whole is greater than some of its parts approach, but I don't know how they match up with DeAndre Williams, who's averaging 17.7 boards at six foot nine. Barry Series at nearly a 40% clip. They've got back Alex Lomax as well, which I've noticed this with the Memphis defense. Vastly different when Lomax is in there. He gives you two and a half seals, right around three and a half boards, three and a half assists, eight and a half points per game. He is a big X factor in this one. Memphis has the better athletes. For Atlantic, a well put together team, a team that went on the road, knocked off Florida this year, but we saw Florida be a little bit more stinky than we were anticipating as well. I think that Memphis is going to be able to maul on the glass, and I do think that they get the job done in this spot. Then we go to the 5 12 matchup. This is Duke versus Oral Roberts, and I am going to be advancing Duke in my bracket. I do think that they avoid the upset against Oral Roberts, a team that is number two in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and they've got Giant of the Earth, 7 for 5 Connor Vanover, who's able to shoot threes as well. That's a very scary ordeal, and if you're taking a look at the betting spread for this game, you are finding Duke as between a 6 to a 7-point favorite, which I do think is a little bit too lofty. I set my number at 3.5, so in terms of the betting perspective. I'm going to be taking the points with Oral Roberts. I can't quite get behind them being able to pull off another upset, though. They do have the pedigree to be able to do so. You've got Max A. Smith. We all know what he's able to do, but this is a Duke defense that also has been a little bit more lively down low due to a guy by the name of Derek Lively, who is a top five recruit, hasn't necessarily put it together from a scoring perspective, but has been able to do a nice job with five rebounds, two blocks per contest, and Derek Whitehead, I think, is a big key as well, because ever since he has returned from injury since the turn of the calendar, he's shooting right around 45% from three, and that's really been the missing link for Duke. Duke has been a top 50 team all season long in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and actually playing quite slowly. Oral Roberts is a team that they're looking to push the tempo, and Oral Roberts, to their credit, they're actually a significantly better defensive team this year than when they made their Sweet 16 run two seasons ago. 
Granted, they're also now without Kevin O'Banner, which that hurts, but Oral Roberts, 75th in the country, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but away from home, they've also been allowing a little bit more than 10 points more per 100 possessions, and I do like the way that Duke was able to move and groove their way through the ACC tournament. It felt like they were gaining confidence with every single game, and I am seeing a total between 146.5 and 147.5. I'd be diving under on that semi-total 145.5 because Oral Roberts is a little bit better on defense. Duke has been playing out a little bit of slower style. In terms of betting perspective, willing to take six or seven points with Oral Roberts. I do think that this is going to be right around a two-possession game, so I'm willing to take those points, but on my bracket, I will have Duke surviving and advancing, facing off against the winner of Tennessee and Louisiana, and quite simply, I just think that this is not necessarily the matchup that you wanted for Louisiana. I do have Tennessee being able to advance in this one, and I did say Tennessee in terms of the betting number as an 11-point favorite right now. I'm seeing them between 10 and 10.5 10 and points, and I'd be willing to lay the 10 to 10.5. 10 Don't really want to lay anything more than that, but I am willing to lay it with Tennessee, and seeing a total of 136 to 137, I'm going to be willing to go over. Tennessee has been the number one team in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis for much of the campaign. They've been able to do a good job of being able to guard threes, and for Louisiana, they do an okay job of being able to bury some threes. Kentrell Garnett has been able to shoot right around 40% from three-point range. Themis Folks has been able to give you six assists per contest, and you may recall the name Jordan Brown because he's a former McDonald's All-American. He's a very well-traveled man that is stands six foot 11, 19 and a half points, eight and a half boards, has been able to do a very nice job for this Louisiana team all season long, but I don't think that that's going to be enough in this circumstance because Louisiana, they just don't do a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc. Typically, Tennessee has issues with other teams that do a good job of being able to guard the arc. You don't necessarily get a lot of that out of Louisiana. Louisiana as well, one of the worst free-throw shooting teams in all of college basketball as well. They shoot it well from three, but they don't shoot it well at the free-throw line. Greg Williams said we give you right around 13 points per game, but I mean, these guys, they do need to hit their free throws, so that is a little bit of an issue. I do like what I am seeing as well out of guys like a Santiago Vescovi. They're having to step up with Sakai Ziegler being out due to injury. That was their main point guard, but you still have five separate guys for Tennessee. That'll give you at least four rebounds per game. They're one of the best rebounding teams in all of college basketball, a team where the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. Olivier Kamwaz, six foot nine. He's able to pop three, so you've got good versatility with this Tennessee team as well. Very good depth. I do think that they're going to overcome a Louisiana team that they just aren't very disciplined. They're outside the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, so I do like the 136 or so over, and I'm willing to lay up to 10.5 with Tennessee, certainly advancing them in my bracket. We've got the 6 versus 11 matchup. This is Kentucky and Providence, and I do like the way that Kentucky has been able to come into this NCAA tournament, so I'm going to be willing to take it Kentucky to be able to survive and advance in this one. And with Kentucky, I'm finding them as between a three and three and a half point favorite on the opener. I'm not seeing any sort of total. I set mine at a 139. So I'll be able to relay that to you once we get more opening totals. But that said, with Kentucky, I did set them as a five point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay that number as well. With Kentucky, they do an amazing job down low with Oscar Shibway, who once again led all of college basketball in terms of rebounds per game. Now, Providence does a good job with regards to their rebounds as well. Ed Crosswell has been able to give you about eight rebounds per game, and this is a revenge spot. Bryce Hopkins actually began his career at Kentucky. He is now the main scorer for Providence. He's able to give you about 18 or so points, throws in their seven boards, shoots it well from three-point range, and ever since Jared Bynum has gone back into the fold, he's been able to shoot it well from three prior to injury. He was just stinking it up from three-point range. He's now, ever since the injury, been shooting north of 40% from three-point range, but 
Providence comes in rather stinky fashion as well. They didn't end the regular season well, and they're down to 146th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. It's a Kentucky team that they themselves are 107th. They're giving up right around 9.7 points more per 100 possessions when they do leave Rupp Arena, but also with Kentucky, they've been able to throttle down their tempo. Meanwhile, Providence is looking to kick it up. I don't necessarily know why Providence is looking to play faster, but Kentucky has been reining it in. They've been dealing with some injuries with guys like Hassan Wallace. You throw in their Xavier Wheeler being in and out of the fold. They've still been dealing with some of those injuries, but it feels like they've been able to find their form with regards to that backcourt. They've been operating much more smoothly down the stretch, and on top of that, they have found a guy to be able to help take the load off of Oscar Sheway and Jacob Toppin, the only two guys that really give you north of four rebounds per game, and that'd be Chris Livingston. He really came on down the stretch. I think that that's going to be a bit of a matchup nightmare for Providence. So, advancing Kentucky, my bracket, betting on them against the spread. Total, we shall see. I set mine at a 139, but I'm going to be willing to take Kentucky with regards to that. And then you've got the 3 14 matchup. This is Kansas State versus Montana State. From a betting perspective, I'm seeing Kansas State as between a 9.5 to a 10.5 point favor with a total of 140.5. I did something total of 143. I'm looking to go over. And uh, the bigger reason why is because Kansas State has not been the same team when they have been away from home with their defense. As a matter of fact, they allow 19.8 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home than when they are at home. And I'm going to be willing to take the points with Montana State as a result. Now, I couldn't justify making a 14 over a 3 upset on my bracket here. I've got Kansas State being able to advance, but Kansas State is a top-heavy team, and they've got two really good players. Marquise Noel, he's able to give you 15 points, 7 half assists, nice stat sheet suffer, but I mean, he does turn the ball over quite a bit. Kansas State, they turn the ball over 14 times per game, and Montana State is one of your better mid-major defensive teams in all of college basketball. Their second straight year, making it into the NCAA tournament. Javriah Ball, I think, is going to do an okay job on Keontae Johnson. Johnson, 16.7 boards, shoots the ball from three-point range, but Javriah Bell, the numbers of like 13.6 rebounds and a block really don't stand out, but I mean, this guy is a hard-nosed defender, and they bring in Darius Brown from CSUN. What he has allowed Montana State to do is to operate very efficiently. They only turn the ball over 11 times per game. He's not going to go out there and he's going to take a bunch of shots, but he shoots nearly 40% per three. He gives you eight points per game. Raekwon Brown, who comes in from Washington, has been their main scorer. This is going to be a tough test for, my, for Kansas State. I do have Kansas State being able to advance on my bracket, but in terms of the betting perspective, I'm going to take 9.5 to 10.5 with Montana State. Once again, did take a look at the over as well. I think that this is a game that might be close enough to where we get late game felling. And for Kansas State, they just have not been the same team defensively when they have been away from home. This leads into the 7 versus 10 matchup. We've got Michigan State and USC. And it's a circumstance where I'm going to be advancing USC, the 10 seed. I did set them in terms of a betting perspective as a 2.5 point favorite in this spot. And Currently, we are seeing USC as the 1-2 to two point underdog with the total between 137 and 137.5. Did semi-total of 136.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under mainly because Michigan State is a bottom 80 team in terms of total possessions per game. And USC does a really good job in the paint. They are a top 15 team nationally and opponents two-point shooting percentage. They've really been able to get some good shot blocking all season long out of Joshua Morgan. Two and a half blocks per game. Vincent Iwuchuku, a five-star freshman. He missed much of the year because he actually collapsed in offseason season workouts. He's been able to come back. He's been able to give the team quite a bit of life down low as well. And for Michigan State, you do have Joey Hauser. He's been able to shoot a ball from three-point range. All's in there. Six half rebounds per game. Right around 15 to 16 points per game. AJ Hogard gives you six assists per game and he does a nice job giving you 15 points. Sidewalker's more of your closer, but he could be a little bit of a heat check guy as well. But with Michigan State, they play slowly, but just because you play slow doesn't mean that you play good defense. 
They're 135th of the country in terms of points allowed on per possession basis, giving up 12.6 points more per one earned possessions away from home. And you're going to find that with a lot of these Big Ten teams. When they have left home all season long, they've been a big giant stink burger, which is a big reason why we're going to be fading a lot of them. With regards to my bracket and with regards to my bets, USC, more like 55th in the country. There's points allowed on a per possession basis, and they've got a guy with a great name in Drew Peterson, who's been able to give you 14 points, six boards, Four plus assists. Boogie Ellis, that's another great name. He's been able to do a nice job. 17 or so points. Shoots it well from three-point range. USC, I think, has a better backcourt. I think that they're going to be able to win from within. So I've got USC on the money line, and I've got them advancing in my bracket. And then the 215 matchup, that is between good old Vermont and Marquette. I do have Marquette advancing on my bracket, but I do think that Marquette is quite overvalued in the market. I can only set them as a nine and a half point favorite from a betting perspective. Last I was checking, I was seeing Marquette as a double digit favorite. Right now, a lot of books have this game off the board, but at last check, I was seeing this line right around 12, and I'd be taking anything of double figures with Vermont. And I did set my total 145 and a half. We shall see what we get from a totals perspective because right now I'm not seeing any of those up. But this is a Vermont team as a top 20 team nationally in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Dylan Penn comes in for Bellarmine, the same Bellarmine team that was wrongfully excluded from the NCAA tournament last year. He's been able to do a nice job of helping this team out, and as I'm seeing it now, I'm seeing a lot of totals right around about a 145, 145 and a half, so Wayne C mode, 145 or less, looking over 146 or higher to the under, but with Marquette. I do think that they're going to be able to survive in advance, but Marquette is right around about 90th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they've only got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, Oso Ogadero, who has been able to give you a block and apricot contest as well. You've got good sharpshooters like a Cam Jones out there, but at the same time, for this Marquette team, they are going to need more rebounding if they do want to be able to make it far in this bracket. They're going to be able to get by Vermont. Vermont doesn't necessarily have a ton of that, but it's a little bit of a buyer beware, and Vermont is almost like a poor man's bar Marquette as well. So I do think that Marquette advances, but I'm going to be willing to take the points with my bet with regards to Vermont. Now we head over to the Midwest. This is Houston's region, and Houston is going to be taking on the north of northern Kentucky. You're looking at the betting spread. You're finding this Houston bunch as being a favorite anywhere in the neighborhood of 19 to 20 points with a total between 121.5 and 122.5. I sell my total at 123.5. I'm going to be willing to go over. You do have a pair of teams that are in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, but Houston also very effective with their offense. They're a top 20 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis simply because they don't turn the ball over. You've got a Northern Kentucky team that they really generate swipes. They're in the top 25 in terms of turnovers force on a per possession basis. Sam Vincent is able to give you 11 points, 2.5 seals per game, but what I think is going to be able to keep Northern Kentucky within 19 to 20 as I set my line at 17 and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points. That'd be Marquise Wark. He's able to give you 19 points. This is a Northern Kentucky team that they've also played like a whole bunch of double triple overtime games. That is meaning that they are relatively good with regards to their stamina. Now they're going to get plowed on the glass. You've got Chris Brandon who's able to give you nine and a half rebounds per game for Northern Kentucky, but with having guys like Jarris Walker for Houston, who does a good job of being able to pair up with Jawan Roberts, who combined for 13 rebounds per game. Jamal Shedd gives out five assists a fewer than two turnovers per game. Houston, they're going to be able to win this game. I do think that this is a little bit too lofty of a number for a game that is going to be very low possession, though. 123 and a half is my total so here at 121.5-122 initial look is the over and taking north of 19 points with Northern Kentucky but no doubt about it in terms of the bracket I am advancing Houston in that one now we've got the 8-9 matchup this is Auburn versus Iowa 
I am going to be advancing Auburn. I'm seeing Auburn currently as a one-point favorite in the betting market, and I totally agree with that. I did set Auburn as a three-and-a-half-point favorite because Iowa's offense does not travel. We saw this in the Big Ten tournament. Iowa, away from home, is a bottom 10 three-point shooting team in the country. I mean, they shoot right around 40% from three at Carver Hawkeye Arena. I mean, it's like Godfather's part one and two for Iowa with their three-point shooting at home, and then it's Godfather part three away from home. I mean, they're terrible. I have no idea how. I have no idea why, but it's as if their superpowers get zapped when they're away from Carver Hawkeye Arena. You've got Chris Murray, who's able to give you right around 20 points, eight rebounds for game, Phil Paracha. He's been able to give you right around eight points per contest, but you've got to match up with a guy that is cleaning up in GNI Broom. He has been here to the NCAA tournament with Warren State two seasons ago. He's able to give you two and a half blocks. Does an nice job with eight rebounds per game. Auburn has been lacking a bit with their three-point shooting as well, but at the very least, they've been consistent with it. And let's call it what it is, this Iowa defense. I mean, it is pretty much goes up, I guess, for the friendly guests. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Iowa 252nd in all of college basketball. Not great. Auburn, I mean, they have went down the tubes a little bit with their defense here down the stretch, but they're still 50th. Jalen Williams is able to pop some threes out and Flanagan as we give you eight plus points in really 12 out of the last 16 games to be able to help out this Auburn team. I've got Auburn advancing. I've got them with regards to a betting perspective, and I did set my total at 146F. Right now, I'm seeing a total between 152 and 153.5. And I'm diving under just because Iowa can't find a way to score when they're away from home. Now, we go to the 5-12 matchup and let the fun begin because you don't even need the points in my opinion with Drake. I'm going to be taking them outright on the money line. Right now I'm seeing Drake in a betting perspective as a 3-point underdog. I'm advancing Drake on my bracket. I'm taking them outright on the money line. Drake is one of my upset picks for this one as Drake does a great job all the way around. They've got a guy that's going to be playing in the NBA in Tucker DeVries. He's been able to give you right around 18 points, 6 boards. He shoots well from 3-point range. Roman Penn is like a 6th year guard who's been really good at doing out the ball. Drake only turns the ball over about 10.5 times per game. Now I will say this about Miami. Their defense stinks but it's honestly been a little bit better away from home. They're 208th of the country in terms of points on a per possession basis but giving up 2.1 points fewer per one possessions when they leave home, but you've got a Drake team that's very well built, and they're just very together. Drake, 24th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Darnell Brody is able to give you seven rebounds per game. We saw no Chad Omir get a little bit banged up in that ACC tournament game. Now, I do think that he's going to be good to go for this one, but I mean, that's a big giant issue because with Miami, they're not generating steals that led them to the Elite Eight last season. That is a big reason why their defense has not been the same for Drake. He'll bring in some like a Sadar Calhoun that's able to pop some threes, and then Garrett Sturts. He's a six foot three gritty guy that's able to give you six rebounds. He shoots 40% from three. Whatever you need this kid to do, he is able to do. Give me the Bulldogs to take down Miami outright on the money line if you're taking a look at a total in this game. I set mine at a 143. Currently, we're seeing a 147.5. I think Drake gets their style. I do think that Drake is able to control this game. Miami, by the way, not too much of an up-tempo team. They just stink on defense. So, I'm going to be one. Take Drake on the money line, the under end. I'm advancing Drake on my bracket. We got the 413 matchup. This is Indiana and Kent State. If you're looking from a betting perspective, you've got Indiana being between a four to a four and a half point favorite, the total between 140 and 141 and a half. And I'm going to be willing to take Indiana. I feel like they should be a five point favorite in this spot. I did set my total 139 diving under. Kent State does a good job of being able to rip the ball away. Top 25 in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis. Top 25 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And sincerely, I mean this. They've got one of the best point guards in this tournament. Sincere carry. He was able to give you 16 points. 
five assists, does a nice job doing it out. Malik Jacobs, he's able to do a good job of being able to generate right around two and a half steals per game among all players in this tournament. He's in the top five in terms of steals per game, but Kent State is just going to have no way of matching up with Drake Jackson Davis. Kent State does not have a single guy that gives them really north of five and a half rebounds per game. Trace Jackson Davis, averaging a double-double, he gives you three blocks per contest. He does a good job as a passer. Now, what you're going to be able to get out of Xavier Johnson in this entire tournament, if anything, DBD, I'm pretty much gunning him out, but Jalen Ochefino, he took some good strides moving forward, and then you got someone like a Miller Cop, along Tamar Bates. These two guys, they combine for about 15 or so points per game. They both shoot north of 38% from three-point range. I do like the way the theory will put it together. Kent State does have a pair of guys in Giovanni Santiago, coupled with Jared Sollinger, that are able to shoot it well from three-point range. But regardless, I do think that with Kent State, they are just not going to have enough download to be able to match up with Indiana. So I do have surviving and advancing in this one, Indiana, because of their size. Now we get to the 6-11 matchup, as this is going to be Iowa State, and they're going to be playing the winner of the play-in game, and that is going to be Mississippi State and Pittsburgh. I do anticipate that to be Mississippi State. And if you're taking a look at the betting spread on this one, right now you're finding Mississippi State as about a one and a half point favorite total between 131 and 132. I'm going to be taking a look at this total over, as I said, it at a 133, merely because Pittsburgh is outside the top one in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and Tolu Smith with his 14 points 8 rebounds per game I think he's going to be able to dominate this game Mississippi State top 5 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and games played away from home Pittsburgh you do have some like Jamarius Burton who's been able to shoot it from 3 and Pittsburgh a great story picked in the bottom 3 in the ACC they've really been able to have a nice Herculean run this season and Mississippi State they are dead last in the country in terms of 3 point shooting percentage that is a little bit of an issue, but at the same time, they know that, and they just pound the ball inside, and I do think that they're going to be able to win from within. Blake Kinson does give you six rebounds per game for Pittsburgh, and Frederico, Frederico, very nice name. He's been able to give you two blocks per contest, but in the end, I do like Mississippi State in that playing matchup. I like them laying the points, and at right around 131, 131.5, I'll be looking at an over, but that said, also with regards to the 6-11 matchup, I don't care if it's Pittsburgh or Mississippi State. I'm going to advance either of those teams. Iowa State comes in in not necessarily the world's greatest form. I do recognize that they knocked off Baylor twice towards the end of the year, but this Iowa State defense does not travel. They're a top five team nationally in terms of turnovers for on a per possession basis, but they give up a whopping 20.4 points more per one possessions when they're away from home. And for Iowa State, if they go up against a team like Mississippi State, they don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Yeah, they generate turnovers, but Mississippi State, even though they don't can shots, they take care of the ball with guys like a Shaquille Moore who's able to give you more. You've got Deshaun Davis who comes in from Oregon State. He's a good ball handler as well. He's actually been the only guy that's been able to shoot threes for this team. For Iowa State, you've got very inconsistent three-point shooting with Jerron Holmes, Gabe Kelsher. You can tell that Caleb Grill has been dealing with the back issue, and that has really led to Iowa State's season towards the back half of Big 12 play going down the tube. So regardless of if you do get Mississippi State or Pittsburgh, I'm going to advance both of those teams. Now we get to a very salacious one, 3-4 team matchup. We've got ourselves Xavier and Kennesaw State. First things first, we've got to give our Odalane Kiffin go Owls. But that said, here's where we're going to be going with a little bit of an upset special. I've got on my bracket Kennesaw State. Now, I only set them as an 8.5 point underdog with regards to the betting line. And you're taking a look right now. You're going to be able to get them as a double-digit underdog. I am going to be willing to take the points with Kennesaw State. I'm going to shy away from taking them outright on the money line. But I do think that this is a really good matchup for a Kennesaw State bunch that... 
They've got a very good togetherness with them, and this is one of the best stories in all of college basketball. Kennesaw State, when Mr. Abdul Rahim, the coach of the team, took over, they were a one-win team during the 2019-20 season. They have been able to build themselves up, build themselves up, and now here they are, a 25-plus win team in the NCAA tournament, going up against a Xavier team that has a completely fraudulent defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, the X-Men, they are currently clocking in 172nd. They're giving up eight points more per one of our possessions. One of their main big men is Zach Fremantle. He's not going to be out there. And I mean, this team is about as shallow as a kiddie pool. They've got absolutely nobody off the bench that they're able to rely upon. Jerome Hunter has been able to give you right around seven rebounds per game since coming in for the team. But you've got someone like a Brandon Stroud that's able to do a good job down low. Chris Youngblood, I think, is going to be able to go shot for shot with Sule Boom. Sule Boom, along with Kobe Jones. These two guys have been able to give you right around 15, 16 points per game for Xavier as both of these guys for the season to 40% from three, but Sule Boom in that game against Marquette had one more point than Greg Peterson. I mean, when this Xavier team goes cold, I mean, it is an Arctic cold, and Kennesaw State does a relatively solid job along the perimeter. They're able to generate some steals. I do think that they're going to be able to win the control battle of the ball with this one, as Xavier has been committing right around 13 turnovers per game, and I think that this is a pesky matchup. Kennesaw State going to hold their own. They've got good versatility. I like Kennesaw State advancing them in my bracket. I'm merely going to take the points shy away from the money line in terms of a betting perspective. And I did something to a 154 net because Xavier is not playing any defense. So I'm going to be looking at the over. Xavier plays a little bit too fast for their own good as well. They're in the top 40 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. We go to the 7-10 matchup. This is Texas A&M versus Penn State. I am going to be taking Texas A&M, advancing them in my bracket. And if you're taking a look at the betting perspective, I did set Texas A&M as a favorite of four and a half points. Right now in a lot of books, I'm seeing this line a little bit closer to a three and a half. And anything up to four, I would be willing to lay it. This has been a line that's been moving quite a bit as I'm seeing this come down to two and a half, three in a lot of spots. And I did set my total at a 134 and a half between 133 and 134. I'm willing to go over Penn State. It's a bottom 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, but it is also a Penn State team that are outside of the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And I think that they're just going to be doomed on the glass. Texas A&M, out of their top five scores, four of them do give you at least four rebounds per game. Tyrese Radford, 13 and a half points, right around five boards. Henry Coleman is capable of giving you a double-double on any given night. And Wade Taylor, I think is going to do a good job of matching up with Jalen Pickett, who deserves to be an All-American. Jalen Pickett for Penn State has been terrific. 17 and a half points, seven and a half boards, seven assists. She's 40% from three. They've got the funk. He and Cameron Winter have been able to shoot 40% from three. You've also got Seth Lundy, who's been able to shoot 40 plus percent from distance, 12.6 rebounds per game. But really, other than Keba Enjai, you don't have any size on low. Texas A&M, they've given up 70 points or fewer, 19 out of their last 24 games. They've been able to do a rock solid job with their defense. They've really reined it in. They do a nice job of being able to force some turnovers. And we've seen Penn State struggle with defenses like Northwestern that they do go after the ball. So I am going to be willing to take a look at the over in this spot just because Penn State They've been a little bit lax with their defense as they shoot it well from three, but they also give up a lot of open threes. And I'm going to be willing to take Texas A&M on the spread and with my bracket as well. And then this will be the last game for this region. This is the 
Good old Texas versus Colgate game. If you're taking a look at a betting perspective on this one, you're finding Texas being a 13 and a half to a 14 point favorite. Still is anywhere between 146 and 147. And question is, do we lay the points or not? And the answer is yes. You do have a Colgate team that, by the way, I mean, they made a lot of NCAA tournaments. They've sort of been there, done that. It's a Colgate team that's in the top 15 nationally in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But they do experience about a 15 point drop off with regards to their offensive efficiency when they are away from home as well. So that is something that you do want to know with them. And they just, frankly, I don't think are going to be able to do a good job of pushing Texas out of sorts. Where Texas could have some issues is down low because Timmy Allen has been dealing with a little bit of an injury and that's really the only guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. But Serge Jabari Rice has been able to give the team 12 plus points and now nine out of the team's last 11 games. You've got Marcus Carr is able to bury about 38% of his threes, gives you 16 points per game. And for Texas, they were a little bit out of control with their defense towards the middle part of the season. That switch over from Chris Beard over to Rodney Terry, you could tell that that took a little bit out of the team. It feels like they've been able to get things back under control. They have been a team that ranks now 23rd in the country. It turns points allowed on a per possession basis. They do a nice job of being able to generate some turnovers. They do a good job of rebounding by committee for Colgate. You do have Tucker Richardson, who does it all. 15 points, 5 boards, 5 assists. You've also got Oliver Lynch-Daniels, who's been shooting right around 50% for three, but this Texas team does a really good job of being able to guard the three-point arc, and that is really the lifeblood of Colgate, as Colgate shoots over 40% from three-point range, and I mean, they were able to get a nice road win a little bit earlier in the season when they went to Syracuse, but we know the way that you knock off Syracuse. You drill some threes against them, and all of a sudden, they just completely whimper away, and they've also got a coach that apparently thinks that Pittsburgh is buying players. That's a story for an other day, but I do think that Texas going to do a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc. They've really been able to fortify that towards back half of the season, so I'm willing to lay the 13.5 to 14 with Texas. I feel like they should be a 14.5 point favorite, advancing them with my bracket. I set my total at 146.5 as Texas is actually a top 65 team in terms of total possessions per game as well, so at a 146 looking over, 147 looking under. We're seeing this between 146 and 147, so I'm going to let that marinate, but seeing more 146s as of right now. And then we go to the West region, and we will do this region before we had a break, and then we go with the round of 32 and beyond. Kansas versus Howard. Well, let's call it what it is. We are going to be advancing Kansas in this spot. The only question is, do you feel comfortable about laying the Mondo number with Kansas, which right now I'm seeing between 21.5 and 22.5, and, and you know what? Up to a 22, I'm willing to lay it with Kansas. Kansas, they've got Jalen Wilson, who's able to give you 20 points, 8 rebounds. Now, the question mark of Bell self's health that is something for further on in the tournament that's not really a question here Howard they've got Steve Settles who give you six rebounds per game but the hallmark of Kansas is that they're a top 40 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis Howard is creating more turnovers than Sarah Lee's bakery 16 turnovers per game you've got a guy in Elijah Hawkins who shoots at 45 percent for three 15 points per game he's also in the top five nationally in terms of turnovers per game among all D1 players you've got Dewan Harris on the flip side for Kansas assisted turnover ratio is right around three and a half Kansas should be able to blow them away. I did set my total at 148.5. What I did notice with Howard is that they're a mid-tempo team out of conference. In conference, they became super-duper up-tempo. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it is a Howard team that is leaving quite a bit of something to be desired as well. So I do think that that tempo just did them not necessarily a ton of good. 127th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 8.2 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. So looking at the over and looking at Kansas. If that one, 8-9 matchup, this is Arkansas versus Illinois and in terms of the betting spread on this one you are finding Arkansas as a little bit of a mid-sized favorite here they are between 
about a three. I was seeing them opening up as a two and a half point favorite, and I think up to three. I'm willing to lay with Arkansas, and I'm going to be advancing Arkansas in my bracket. Illinois is another one of those Big Ten teams that they just have not been able to perform away from home. I mean, like it or not, this Big Ten conference has just been like your buddy at the bar when they leave their home floor and they can't close. Illinois, they are giving up right around 18 points more per 100 possessions when they are away from home. That is not great to say the least. We got Matthew Meyer, the monster himself, who ever since the beginning of the month of December has been able to average 16 points, right around six boards, a block per contest, shoots a ball from three-point range. TJ Shannon gives you 17 points per game, but Illinois, they're outside the top 250 in terms of their three-point shooting percentage. Arkansas has been as well, but Nick Smith coming back has been big. When he's been fully healthy and out there on the floor, he's averaging 15 plus points per game. You've got the Mitchell brothers who are doing a good job of being able to hit the glass. It's an Arkansas team that they really look to run it and gun it as well. Ever since they got Smith back in the fold, they've been playing a tad bit more up-tempo, and this is an Arkansas defense that they're going to do a good job getting after you. 32nd in the country in terms of points on a per-possession basis now. They're giving up right around 15 points more per runner in possessions when they leave home as well. Bob Walton Arena, that is a good environment, but I do think that Arkansas has the versatility to be able to match up well, be able to get the job done against an Illinois team that they do have Coleman Hawkins out there doing a solid job, but Jaden Epps, he's been a little bit banged up in the backcourt as well in Arkansas with having someone like a Ricky Council being able to give you 15 plus points per game. They should be able to have enough to get by in this one. We go to the 5-12 matchup. This is St. Mary's versus VCU. I'm going to be advancing St. Mary's on my bracket and this one is very interesting from a betting perspective as well as right now you're finding St. Mary's as a favorite of anywhere between three and a half to four points and three and a half is a maximum one lay but I'm willing to lay it. These two teams are top 10 teams in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. VCU does a tremendous job of being able to generate steals. They're a top five team in terms of turnovers for on a per possession basis. St. Mary's they do an okay job of being able to generate steals but it's just a togetherness and I feel like Aiden Mahaney is a little bit of a better go-to scorer than Ace Baldwin. Baldwin has been terrific for this VCU team. He can right around 35% of his threes. It gives you 13 points, two and a half steals, six assists per contest. Mahaney a little bit more of a natural scorer but what you do have with St. Mary's is a guy Mitchell Saxon who's able to give you 12 points, eight rebounds per game. He's matched up with Jaden Deloach, 10.7 rebounds per contest. St. Mary's also has someone like a Kyle Bowen who's six foot eight, seven boards, shoots 40% from three bar range. I think that overall versatility of St. Mary's is big and for VCU they typically just try to create havoc. St. Mary's is very good at staying under control, getting the game played on their own terms. VCU was a 11-12 seed that I really thought would be able to make a run in this tournament if given the right matchup. I felt like this was the worst matchup for them, so I do have to have St. Mary's surviving and advancing in this one. We go to the 4-13 matchup. This is UConn versus Iona. I've got UConn advancing on my bracket, and I set UConn as a 12.5 point favorite in this spot. I do recognize that Iona is a top 25 team nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but I mean, much of that is artificial. Iona has been going up against these bad Metro Atlanta teams all season long, and for UConn, this team does a good job of balling the glass out of their top six scores. Five of them give you at least five rebounds per game. Andre 3000 Jackson, six half points, six half rebounds per game. Adama Sonogo, he makes things a go-go. 17 points, seven boards. He shoots right around 38% from three-point range. Jordan Hawkins, he gives you 15 points. He shoots 38% from three-point range. You've got someone like Julie Calcaterra who's able to shoot 40% from three. Weapons upon weapons. Now, Walter Clayton, good X-Factor for Iona. He gives you 15 points. He shoots 90 plus percent
percent at the free slide, 40 plus percent from three par range. Iona only turns the ball over 11 times per game, but they aren't going to be able to match up on the glass, even though they've got someone like a Barrett Dean Louise, able to give you eight points, right around five rebounds, a block, a steal per game. Nelly Jr. Joseph has been able to give you nine rebounds per game. Osborne Shema has some size, but it's just a different animal with UConn. UConn, I recognize they lost that game in the Big East tournament against Marquette, but it feels like they're showing flashes of that team as one of the best in all of college basketball towards the beginning part of the season. I like the way that UConn comes into this tournament. I've got them surviving and advancing. Now we go to the 6-11 matchup. This is TCU versus a play-in winner of Arizona State and Nevada. And regardless of who wins a play-in, I'm going to be advancing TCU on the bracket, so I'll just make that known, but in terms of handicapping that playing game match, Arizona State versus Nevada. I did set Arizona State as a two-point favorite. They are the team that I do like in terms of this one, and right now I'm seeing Arizona State as right around a one-and-a-half point favorite, which would be the maximum I'm going to lay, but I'm going to lay it. Arizona State comes in a relatively good form, and Arizona State is a team that, I mean, they play relatively fast in the top 80 in terms of total possessions per game. 40th in the country, it turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, and this is a little bit of a rivalry matchup as one of the Cambridge brothers in Desmond Cambridge, along with Warren Washington, on the Arizona State side, and he transferred over from Nevada. Warren Washington, seven-footer, that's able to give you seven rebounds per game. Jared Lucas comes in from the Pac-12 himself. He was at Oregon State last year. He's become the top scorer for Nevada, 16 points per game, and he shoots it well from three-point range. It's a Nevada team that really doesn't beat themselves. Right around 11 turnovers per game. They're a top-15 team in the country in terms of free-throw shooting percentage, but I do think that for Arizona State, they just do such a good job of being able to cut off the three-point arc. They do a nice job of not allowing second and third chances. I do think that they're going to be a little bit too much for a Nevada team that they didn't really play well down the stretch. They were a bunch that I was thinking they might be in danger of missing the NCAA tournament. They lose that game to San Jose State, which I mean, kudos to San Jose State. They were able to do a much better job towards back half of the season, but this team looked a little bit wobbly. Will Baker is a seven-footer that's able to pop threes. That's able to give you 13 points per game, but Arizona State, they've got the versatility to be able to match up with them. Frankie Collins, I think, is a very well-rounded guard as well. He's been able to supply 11 points, four boards, four assists per contest. I do think that's a little bit tough in this one, and I think whoever gets TCU, they just run into a TCU defense that's in the top 40 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I recognize that Eddie Lampkin has been dealing with those issues. He's been away from the team, but I do think that TCU is rallying around Mike Miles, who when he's fully healthy is one of the best X-Factors in all of college basketball. TCU just absolutely guards the living daylights out of you, regardless of if it's Nevada versus Arizona State. Advancing TCU in the bracket, I do think that's Arizona State that faces off with TCU. I'm going to lay that number. I did set my total. In terms of of Arizona State versus Nevada at a 134. Seeing a total between 133.5 and 134.5. Personally, leaning a little bit more towards the 134.5 under Nevada outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. But we now go to the 3 versus 14 matchup. This is Gonzaga versus Grand Canyon. And no secrets here, we're going to be taking Gonzaga in this spot, both with regards to my bet and on the bracket. I set Gonzaga as a 16 point favorite. Honestly, I do think that Gonzaga is coming into this tournament in good form. Top team in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Defense has been lackadaisical all season long, but they did a very good job of being able to guard against St. Mary's in both of those games. And in the game that they lost against St. Mary's, they were honestly in full control of. There's going to be no answer for Grand Canyon down low against Drew Timmy. I mean, Drew Timmy has been a terrible pick-and-roll defender, but at the same time, he gives you 20.7 rebounds per game. Grand Canyon, they've really fallen off with their defense. At the beginning part of the season, they were doing a great job of their defense, and if you're looking for a team to take overs with, it is Grand Canyon, because they're right around like 250th in the country, in terms of total possessions per game, but their defense 
defenses went to mush. 157th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They go up against a Gonzaga team that honestly has not necessarily been too savory with their defense, but for Gonzaga, they've been allowing a lot more of their stuff within the three-point arc rather than outside the three-point arc. Rayshon Harrison, he's become a nice go-to scorer for this Grand Canyon team as he's been able to supply about 16 points per game. You've also got someone like a Chance McMillan, Noah Bauman, these guys combined for 18 points per game. They went berserk in the WAC tournament. They hit every three that they took against Sam Houston State. They went 16 to 30 from three-point range against Southern Utah. They had a bunch of threes. I don't think that that luck is just going to continue. And yes, I am calling it luck because Grand Canyon has not for the entirety of the season shot the way that they did in the WAC tournament. They got very fortunate to get here. I think that fortune ends right here. I set Gonzaga as a 16-point favorite. You've got Rashir Bolton along with Anton Watson, a pair of double-figure scorers. Julius Strother has been able to do a nice job with Julian Strother. 15 points, 7 boards. He shoots it well from 3 points. Did set my total 155. I think that this is a tad bit too high just because with Grand Canyon. I don't think that those threes fall for them, and they are a little bit of a slow-tempo team, so looking at the under and looking at Gonzaga from a betting perspective. 7-10 matchup. We've got Northwestern versus Boise State. This is one where I'm going to be taking Boise State. I'm going to be taking them with my bet. I'm going to be taking them with my bracket as well. As right now, I am finding Boise State as between a pick'em to a one-point favorite, which I do think that Boise State should be the favorite. I set them as a full three-point favorite, so I'm willing to take them in this ordeal, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under as well. I did set my total at a 128, currently finding it in between about a 128 half to a 129. Boise State has been an absolutely incredible defense, and the one risk that you do run with Boise State, they don't have a lot of depth. They've got Marcus Shaver has been doing a little bit of everything. 15 points, 6 boards, 4 plus assists. Doesn't shoot it well from 3, but you've got Tuzu Agbo along with Max Rice. Both of these guys shoot 40 plus percent from 3. 6 foot 8 Tyson Dagenard. He's got really good versatility as well. And you do have a pair of teams that have been two of the more supreme defenses in all of college basketball. In terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, it's a Northwestern team that currently they are clocking in at 20th. They do a good job of being able to generate turnovers as well, but Boise State, they only turn the ball over about 11 and a half times for contest. Boise State more around 35th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis, but they do a little bit of a better job of being able to hit the glass. Poos, Boo-Booey, Chase Odish, both of these guys have been able to combine for right around 31 points per game, but they don't necessarily shoot it great from three-par range, and this Boise State team, they've just been so battle-tested having to play out in the Mountain West. It's a Northwestern team that I just fear that they're not going to be able to go down low and be able to match up with Tyson Dagenart. I just think, in general, this is a rough matchup for them. I do think that this is going to be a slow-down, grimy game. Both of these teams outside the top 225 turns the total possessions per game. They both hang their head on defense, but I think Boise State avoids the turnovers against Boise State. I think they win from within, so I do like Boise State, and then this is the last matchup that we're going to hit before my first break, as this is the last game of the round of 64. It's UCLA against UNC Asheville. I wish I could call for the 15 seed in this one. That would be a little bit daring. UCLA, they're dealing with their injuries to Adam Bona, and they've also got a little bit banged up Jalen Clark. Clark is out for the entirety of the tournament. We need to see on Bona. I do think that we're going to see Bona at some point during the NCAA tournament, but we're going to be willing to take the points with UNC Asheville. Right now, I'm seeing them as an 18 to an 18 and a half point underdog. I said this more around 14. You want to be taking note of six foot Andrew Pember. He's been able to give the team 20 points, eight boards, shoots the ball from three point range. Now, the one kryptonite that you've got with Asheville, bottom 50 team in the country at taking care of the ball in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis, but Jalen Clark was averaging 2.6 steals per contest, really one of the best steals creators in all of college basketball. He is out of the fold, so 
that does hurt this team quite a bit. So that is a little bit of an issue that you do want to take note of with UCLA. I don't think that this is going to be the round that it pops up. You still have Jaime Hawkes. You still have Tiger Campbell, part of that Final Four team. Hawkes has been able to give you right around 16 points. Supplies right around 8 rebounds per contest. They still have reserves that were top 100, top 150 recruits. UNC Asheville just not able to match up with that, even though Tyjon Jones is able to give you 15 plus points per contest. Nicholas McMillan does a solid job down low. I'm willing to back UNC Asheville getting all these points. I did something I told at 136. I do think that UCLA, a top 10 team, turns the points a lot on a per possession basis. They do take a hit on defense, so I'm willing to go over. I'm willing to take the points with UNC Asheville, but in terms of my bracket, I'm going to be advancing with the UNC Asheville. So those are my picks for the round of 64. You got a little bit of betting perspective there. Coming up in the final segment, we go through all the rest of the regions. We go through the round of 32 all the way to my national title. Next, right here on Cuts and with myself, Jamie Peterson, now a part of the Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. 
Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. And we're back here at Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Eats with myself, Greg Eats-Peters. And now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, you got my round of 64 picks in the last segment. And you got my initial leads from a betting perspective as well. Let's go through the rest. You're not going to get any betting perspective quite yet because, well, we don't know what the spreads are going to be. I can't tell you what way to bet a game until we actually know what we're going to be getting. But how about if we start off in the South? We start with the round of 32 matchup of Alabama versus Maryland. I've got Alabama being able to survive and advance in this one. Alabama just too much for a Maryland team. That I mean, they're outside the top 50 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Maryland is going to be looking to slow down Alabama, but Alabama against slow teams have been able to have success. When teams try to speed them up, they've been able to have success. I do think that Alabama is going to be able to plow down low with Noah Clowney along with Brandon Miller being able to combine for 16 rebounds per game. You do have Dante Scott and Julia Reese that do an okay job, but Jaden Bradley, coupled with Javon Quinterly, are able to supply a combined seven assists per game. And for Maryland, you just don't have great three-point shooting. They shoot about 32% from three-point range. 
You got an Alabama team that away from home. They're the number one three-point shooting defense in all of college basketball. I do think that that is going to be taking its toll. So I've got Alabama advancing over Maryland in the 1-8 matchup. San Diego State versus Furman. I've got the Paladins, the 13 seed, making it to the Sweet 16. Gotta love what Furman is able to bring to the table. Mike Bothwell, I think, is going to be able to do a good job of going toe-to-toe with Matt Bradley. Bradley's able to give you 13 points per game, but this Bothwell kid is amazing. 18 points, 3 assists per contest. You've got Jalen Slauson with his size. Able to pop threes. He's able to match up with Micah Parrish. And just overall, have more weapons for Furman. A Furman team that they should be able to do a solid job down low against the likes of Nathan Menza and company. Garrett Hine, 8.6 boards. He's able to shoot it well from 3-point range. We saw a little bit more towards back half of the season. Ben Vanderwall gets some good minutes. He was able to help out the depth of Furman as well. And you've got Lamont Butler on the flip side for this San Diego State team. He's a very valuable defender. He had that big shot against New Mexico to win it, but he also had that bonehead mistake at Maui as well. I do think that Furman, their just style of offense is going to provide some fits for San Diego State. San Diego State, I do think they're going to have a tough time being able to generate offense, even though Furman is a bunch at, I mean, they're willing to give up points. They've given up north of 70 points in three out of their last four games, but at the same time, I do think that this Furman offense firing all cylinders, it provides a bad matchup for the San Diego State team, especially down low. So, I've got Furman advancing to the Sweet 16. We've got the six versus three matchup in Creighton versus Baylor. I do like Baylor to be able to survive and advance in this one. It is a Baylor team has looked a little bit shaky with their defense coming into the tournament, and you have to deal with a little bit of an ailment as well, because you do have a guy in Keontae George that he's been a little bit injured, but still, he's got a nice skill set. 15 and a half points, four boards, three assists per contest. I do think that Creighton is going to have a tough time with him. Arthur Kaluma has been able to supply about 12 points per contest, but for Creighton, they can't give you too many different looks, because they're only about five deep. Now, Creighton is going to have a advantage down low with Ryan Kalkbrenner, but getting back Jonathan John Wachachwa is big as he and Flo Thamba have been able to combine for about 10-11 rebounds per game. Baylor by committee is one of the best rebounding teams in all of college basketball. They do a good job of actually being able to defend some of these bigs as well. And then when you've got LJ Cryer being able to splash in their three-pointers, I do think that that is very rough, and that's a big thing as well. Can you get LJ Cryer going in this game? I do think that the answer is yes, because with Green, much of their defensive prowess, it is inside. When it comes to being able to guard the perimeter, Creighton, 194th in the country. An opponent three-point shooting percentage allowing in a road-slash-shoot-record environment opponents to shoot 38% from three when you've got Adam Flagler giving you five assists, 15 points per game, shooting him well from three-point range. Absolute doomsday. So, I do like Baylor to be able to survive in advance in that one. Now you've got Missouri versus Arizona. Too much rebounding for Arizona. You've got one guy on Missouri that's able to give you north of five rebounds per game in Kobe Brown. Arizona has really been able to tighten up the screws with their defense as well. Top 30 team in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Really, ever since the turn of the calendar, Azula, Sabellis, Umar, Paulo, they're able to combine for 17 rebounds per game. And, I mean, these guards aren't chopped liver either. Like, Courtney Ramey, I think, actually matches up very well with someone like a Nick Honor. He's able to shoot 40% from three. 10.5 points per game. Pelly Larson comes in off the bench. He gives you 10 points, 4 boards, 3 assists per contest. You've got someone that came up a little bit early in Kylan Boswell. He, as a freshman, has been able to give this team some nice production recently. So, Arizona is able to match the depth of guards with Missouri. I do think that Arizona might get a little bit out of sorts with the ball. Missouri does a good job of generating turnovers. So you've got 13.5 per contest out of Arizona as well. But, I mean, with Missouri, there's just no way they're going to be able to match up on the boards. Typically, those are the worst matchups for Missouri. Just 
not what you want for Missouri facing off against an Arizona team with those twin bigs. So I've got Arizona surviving and advancing in the East. It is Purdue versus Memphis, and we're going to call for the upset with Memphis. They very nearly took down Gonzaga a season ago. They take down Purdue. Purdue is not the same team when they are away from home. Purdue is only about 50th in the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, despite being number one in the nation in terms of rebound rate. Zach Eady, giant of the earth, is tremendous. He's able to give you 22 points, 13 rebounds per contest, but at the same time, you've got freshman guards in the backcourt in Fletcher Lawyer along with Braden Smith, and they combine for about 20 points per game. Smith has been able to give you right around four assists, shoots a well from three, doesn't turn the ball over like a lot. Give me the fourth slash fifth year guy in Kendrick Davis, who's able to give you 21 points. He's able to supply you with right around six assists per game. Alex Lomax generates two and a half steals per game. Superior older guards win in March, and I think that Memphis is going to be able to do that. And I do think that DeAndre Williams, he's not as tall as Zach Eady at six foot nine. I think he provides a big athletic matchup nightmare against Zach Eady, which Eady's toughest matchups all season long have been against a guy in Trace Jackson Davis. Who I mean, he's similar. Trace Jackson Davis doesn't shoot threes like DeAndre Williams, but I think Williams can do a lot of what Trace Jackson Davis did to Zach Eady earlier in the season, and that spells doomsday for. Purdue. I've got the number one seed going down. In the 4-5 matchup, you've got Duke versus Tennessee, and I'm going to be willing to advance Duke. I think Duke should be able to win from within. I do like the way that Derek Lively has come alive down low. He's been able to give this team five boards, two and a half blocks per game. Kyle Filipowski is able to give you a double-double, and for Tennessee, just flat out, I don't think that Santiago Vescovi is as good at running the show as Jeremy Roach. I know that a lot of people wanted to throw some shade at Jeremy Roach, but he looked very good in the ACC tournament. Had some big scoring performances. When he needs to pass the ball off, he's going to pass the ball off as well for Tennessee. Missing a guy that is averaging right around five assists per game is big, and Duke has also been able to get some good production out of Tyrese Proctor. A little bit of a sad sheet suffer that comes over from Australia. Nine and a half points, three boards, three assists. It's about 33% from three. Derek Whitehead is really going to need to go off with the three-point shooting, and Tennessee does a great job of being able to guard the three-point arc, but Duke doesn't take a lot of threes to start with, so that matchup advantage, that's not going to be there quite as much in this ordeal, so I do like Duke to be able to advance to the Sweet 16. We now have Kentucky versus Kansas State in the round of 32. This is a 6-3 matchup, and I've got Kentucky advancing. I just don't think that Kansas State is going to be able to match up with Big Sheeb, Oscar Sheeboy. 16 points, 13 rebounds for Kansas State. Once again, they give up right around 19 points more per runner in possessions when they leave home. Kansas State is going to be able to generate a few swipes against Kentucky, but Kentucky has been able to do a better job of being able to take care of the ball, even with all of the woes that this Kentucky team has had with regards to having guys going in and out of the fold due to injury. It is a Kentucky bunch that, in terms of total turnovers per game, 11.7. That's not too bad, given everything, and Antonio Reeves is a good sharp shooter. He's able to shoot 49% from three, 14.5 points per contest, and with having to deal with all these different backcourt combinations, he has been the main concept for the team. Having Kassan Walls back out there doing everything that he's been able to do down the stretch, I think it's going to be big. You're going to need someone like Desi Sills to be able to step up for Kansas State because you know what you're going to be able to get out of Keontae Johnson. You know what is going to be provided as well to Marquise Noel, but you don't have a lot past that, and Kansas State has not been the same team away from the Little Apple. So I'm going to be willing to advance Kentucky in this ordeal. You've got the 10 versus 2 matchup, Marquette versus USC. 
I'm going to go for the upset with USC. With Marquette, they once again have one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. And it's a Marquette team that does not do a good job with their defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Marquette is clocking in right around 100th, and they very nearly lost twice to St. John's. A lot of people are getting all hyped up that they were able to win the Big East tournament. Congratulations, you knocked off a vastly overrated Xavier team, and I think it go down in the first round to Kennesaw State. Give our own Dwayne Kiffin. Go Owls. But for Marquette, I do think that this is a very vulnerable team that they rely way too much on the perimeter. I do like what someone like Cam Jones is bringing to the table. 15 points per game. Tyler Kolek, he's smart with the ball. 7.5 assists. Two and a half turnovers per game, but with USC, Boogie Ellis is able to give you 18 points per game, and USC is just going to have the better athletes in general in this game, being able to get right around two and a half blocks per game out of Joshua Morgan. Now they've got back the full Vincent Iwuchuku, and you've been able to have someone like a Trey White be able to step up here in the back half of the season. Nine points, five rebounds per game, and they've got a kid from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Kobe Johnson, who's probably going to have something to prove as well. He's really emerged down the stretch. 12 plus points in four out of the team's last five games. He had a six assist game against Arizona about a week or two ago. Nice six foot six combo player. I think the versatility of USC, bad matchup for Marquette. I like USC as a 10 seed being able to make it to the Sweet 16. Now we go up to the Midwest region as you've got Houston versus Auburn. Auburn, I just don't think is going to be able to make enough shots to be able to make it pass. I mean, for Houston, they are dealing with that Marcus Sasser injury, but I would think by this time, for one, he'll probably be healthy enough to where he should be relatively close to 100%. If not, he will be for the Sweet 16. And Auburn does have GNI Broom down low. He's able to give you 8.5 boards, 2.5 blocks per game, but I do think that Jarris Walker, along with Javon Roberts, providing their 13 rebounds per game is big. Houston entered into the American title game. Number one in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Auburn they have really been flailing down the stretch with their defense as I feel like Auburn was the beneficiaries of some lucky three-point shooting defense because the SEC just stinks with regards to the three-point shooting. Meanwhile, you've got a Houston team that still has Traymond. Mark who's able to do a solid job give you 10 points. He's able to pop it from three. Really everyone on this Houston team aside from Roberts is able to pop it from three. You've got one of the best coach teams in all of college basketball. I like Houston to be advanced to the Sweet 16. We've got Drake versus Indiana up next, and we're calling for another double-digit seed to be able to make the Sweet 16. I like the Drake Bulldogs. With Drake, you've got Darnell Brody, who I think is actually going to match up okay with Drake Jackson Davis, and Drake just has a better backcourt. Roman Penn has been there, done that. He's able to give you five assists per contest. You've got Jalen Ochefino who's been able to do a better job of rating it in with this Indiana team, but for Indiana, they are the far worse offensive team. Drake, about 24th in the country. Turns points a lot under purpose basis. Indiana 92nd and shock, shock, surprise, surprise you've got home and road splits with Indiana. 10.9 points more surrendered per 100 possessions when they leave home. Go figure. A Big Ten team that doesn't play the same when they're away from home. Where have we seen that before? But for Indiana, they do have guys that are able to pop it from three-point range, but Drake, I think, is going to do a very nice job of being able to take that away. Trace Jackson Davis is going to be able to get his, but we've seen plenty of times just throughout the career of Trace Jackson Davis where he does a great job of being able to supply his end of the bargain, and absolutely nobody else does theirs. And I fear that this could be one of those ordeals as well as Drake. They're in the top 40 in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, so that should take guys like Tamar Bates out of the fold as well, and you do have so much good versatility with some like Garrett Sturts, who's able to get dirty and is able to get a bunch of boards as well, so I do like Drake to be able to survive in advance, make it to the Sweet 16. Now we've got playing game winner against Kennesaw State, and regardless of if it's Mississippi State or Pittsburgh, I do think that the run for Kennesaw State unfortunately does come to an end as Kennesaw State 
I mean, really a nice story, but regardless of which team they do go up against, they're going to be a little bit outgunned on the boards, especially if they go up against Mississippi State, who is a team that I'm projecting that they are going to be going up against. Brandon Stroud with his six half rebounds per game. He leads Kennesaw State, and Kennesaw State does shoot about 37% for three. They take care of the ball, something like a Tyrell Burden has been able to generate some swipes as well, but Mississippi State, they're just going to be able to completely control the boards against Kennesaw State. If it's Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is just a significantly better version of Kennesaw State, so Regardless of who comes out of that Pittsburgh versus Mississippi State game, I do think that they take it to Kennesaw State. So there's your team from the first four being able to go to the Sweet 16 once again. Now we get the two versus seven matchup, Texas A&M versus Texas and. I really think Texas A&M, with the right matchup, they would have been able to make a run in this tournament, but Texas is just playing their best basketball right now. They've really been able to find it under Rodney Terry. It's a Texas A&M team that does a good job of being a rebound by committee, but they don't have that one dominant big man that is really going to disrupt what Texas does not have in that dominant big man. Texas is playing significantly better defense. Now, this is an interstate rivalry, and a pair of teams that used to be in the Big 12 very, very long ago, and it'll be an in-conference rivalry relatively soon as well, but I do think that for Texas, they're going to be able to get pie just because I do think that the best two guards out there on the floor belong to them as you've got a pair of gentlemen, Marcus Carr and Sir Jabari Rice have been able to do an amazing job for this team. Tyrese Hunter has been able to supply you with two and a half assists per game as well. He's a very good on-ball defender. I'm not sure what the status of Timmy Allen is moving forward, even if he's out of the fold. You've been able to have Dylan DeSue along Christian Bishop be able to step up down low. That should be able to take away guys like a Henry Coleman, Texas A&M, does sometimes get a little bit loose with the ball as well. They're a team that's giving up nearly 13 more points per one-arm possessions when they leave College Station as well. So I do like Texas to be able to get by and to be able to make the Sweet 16. Now we go down to the West region. This is Kansas versus Arkansas. For Arkansas, I just don't think that they're going to be able to make enough shots to be able to survive. Nick Smith is a big addition for this team, but Arkansas, they're a team that's giving up 15 more points per one-arm possessions when they leave home. And this is a very shocking stat about Kansas. They've been one of the best road defenses in all of college basketball. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this Kansas team is top 10 in the country. They're allowing a tenth of a point more per one earned possessions when they leave home than when they are at home. So Kansas has really been batting down the hedges when they've been away from home. They do have Kevin McCullough who's been dealing with a little bit of an injury as well. They did hold him out of that Big 12 final. I do think that he's going to be a little bit limited towards the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, but I do think that he should be able to contribute a little bit of something for the team, and even if not, Joseph Yusufu, the transfer from Drake, he's able to provide something on defense. He's able to give the team a little bit more offensive punch as well, so I do like Kansas to be able to overcome the upset and to be able to get by Arkansas. We go to the 4-5 matchup, UConn versus St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a team that's going to be able to stay within themselves. I just don't think that they're going to be able to match up on the glass with UConn. you got Adama Sanogo making things a go-go. He should be able to take it to Mitchell Saxon for UConn as well. You still have guys like a Nikim Aliyam along with Tristan Newton in the backcourt that they all do a good job of being able to supply some scoring. Newton has been solid, giving out four and a half assists to right around 2.3 turnovers per game. You know that St. Mary's is not going to be phased. They've got someone in Logan Johnson that gives you 15 points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists. So I know these guys do a good job as a collective. I just think that UConn 
too big, too strong. Donovan Klingen giving you two blocks per contest. He's going to be good on the interior. UConn does a good job of being able to surround the perimeter as well. A top 20 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And UConn, it feels like they're getting back into that form that they had towards the beginning part of the season where they looked like one of the top teams in all of college basketball. So I do like UConn to be able to survive and advance to the Sweet 16. Now we've got TCU versus Gonzaga. And I think that Gonzaga's defensive woes get them right here. I'm going to be willing to take TCU. TCU is just a better defensive team. One of the best teams on the glass in all of college basketball. Losing Eddie Lampkin is tough, and Drew Timmy is going to be able to get his 20-plus points per game, but it's a TCU team that as well does a great job of being able to guard the three-point arc. Now, TCU doesn't necessarily do the world's greatest job of being able to hit threes, but against this leggy Gonzaga team that gives you all sorts of open looks as Gonzaga is right around 250th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. I think that is going to be a big, giant issue in this game. I do think that Julian Strother is going to be able to hit a few of his threes as well, but TCU, 20th in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. You're really going to need Malachi Smith to come in off the bench. He's been shooting 40-plus percent from three-point range to be able to step up. TCU, they're strong. They've got good length being able to guard the perimeter, which Gonzaga hasn't seen in quite some time, and I do think that this is just a rough matchup in general. Emmanuel Miller is somewhat size that's able to shoot over 40% from three-point range at TCU. For all their flaws, they do have a guy in Damian Ball that does run the show very well. Six assists, doesn't turn the ball over a lot. I like TCU to be able to advance as the sixth seed to the Sweet 16. And then Boise State versus UCLA. Upset special. UCLA dealing with all their injuries. Going against the Boise State team has been able to do a supreme job with their defense. I think Tyson Dagenhart has a chance to be able to win the battle down low, even if Adam Bona is good to go. You catch a UCLA team that, I mean, they look good in the Pac-12 tournament, but I do think that this is going to take a lot out of them. And for Boise State, they do a good job of just staying in front of their man. They don't necessarily force a lot of turnovers, and we know that Tiger Campbell, he does a nice job of being able to take care of the ball, but against someone like a Jaime Akas, I do think that they're going to be able to control the glass. I do think that with Chuzu Agbo along with Max Rice, they're going to be able to knock down enough threes to be able to get the job done. So I like Boise State to survive in advance as a 10 seed. Now we get into the Sweet 16. We go back up to the South region. We've got Alabama versus Furman. This is where the Furman ride ends. Alabama, they allowed 70 points or fewer in all but two of their games in regulation because they played a few games that went to overtime against SEC foes. This is also a revenge spot. Noah Gurley actually used to be on Furman before he transferred over to Alabama. He had some nice stretches for this team, and Alabama, they're just going to be able to maul on the glass. Noah Clowney, Brandon Miller, they're just going to be too much for Furman. Furman is able to pop some threes. They do a nice job of being able to take care of the ball, but Alabama, they play at an even more breakneck pace than Furman going up against a Furman team that has been well outside the top 125 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis all season long. Furman is essentially a less athletic and a not-as-good version of Alabama. I think that this is where the run ends. I'm willing to take Alabama. You've got the 2-3 matchup, Arizona versus Baylor. I like Arizona. I think that Arizona is going to be able to control the glass. Baylor is not going to be able to match up with both Umar Balo and Azula Sabalas. Balo, more of the back-to-the-basket big man with Azula Sabalas. He's more of a guy that's able to pop threes. For Baylor, Jonathan Chamo Chachwa has good versatility, but we saw Baylor lose twice to Iowa State down the stretch. You've got good guards that are able to take the ball away, like Kirk Carissa, like Courtney Ramey. I think that that backcourt is going to be big, and I think that they are very capable of taking away LJ Cryer as well. 
It's an Arizona team that, as the season has went along, maybe they would do a much, much better job with their defense. That defense being able to rein it in, them being a little bit less loose with the ball, I think is going to be very critical in this ordeal. So I do like Arizona to be able to survive, advance, and be able to get to the Elite Eight. Now we go down to the East region where we've got Memphis versus Duke, and I like Memphis in this spot. Once again, give me the experience at the guard spot. Kendrick Davis is one of the best point guards in all of college basketball. I will take him over Jeremy Roach in this spot. I think DeAndre Williams matches up very well with Kyle Filipowski. Williams, six foot nine, shoots it well from three-point range. Alex Lomax does a very solid job of being able to generate swipes as well. Duke has been okay at being able to take care of the ball, but you can tell that the offense has not been the same when they've been away from home. Penny Hardaway has coached up a very good, very athletic Memphis team that is going to be a nightmare for anyone to go up against. They seem to be playing their best basketball right now. Now, granted, Duke has been able to as well, but at the same time for Duke, not being able to get those offensive contributions of Derek Lively and outside Derek Whitehead not having a lot of three-point shooting against a Memphis team where their biggest fatal flaw is giving up the three-point shot, that's quite a bit of an issue. So I do think that this is a bad matchup for Duke. I like Memphis to be able to survive, advance, make it to the Elite Eight. We've got Kentucky versus USC. I do think that this is where the road ends for USC. USC's hallmark is inside defense, defense within the three-point arc, and, well, Kentucky has Oscar Sheboy. They are going to completely own the paint in this game, and, I mean, I do recognize for USC, you've got Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson, great name, out there on the backcourt, but at the same time, for Kentucky, Kassan Walls has been able to do a nice job of running the point guard spot for this team. I do think that Antonio Reeves is going to be able to provide enough three-point shooting for Kentucky to be able to get by a USC team that, I mean, they don't do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Kentucky has been a little bit better with regards to their ball security, and I do think that Kentucky just has better athletes in general. So I do like Kentucky to be able to make the Elite Eight. Now you've got Houston versus Drake. You reward Drake for going to the Sweet 16, but this is where the run ends. Going up against a Houston team that just absolutely mugs you. They're one of the top defenses in all of college basketball. They don't turn the ball over. By this time, you should have Marcus Sasser being at full health. So that means that Tucker DeVries is going to need to go into takeover mode, which he can. He's able to give you 18 points, 6 rebounds. He's one of the best players, really, in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. Roman Penn does a nice job of being able to do all the ball. They just don't have the size to be able to match up with Houston. Houston does a great job of being able to take away the three-point shot. Drake doesn't have enough perimeter offense, enough ability to be able to post up with someone like Darnell Brody to really take advantage of Houston. So I do like Houston to be able to survive in advance. We've got the play-in winner of Mississippi State and Pittsburgh against Texas. I don't care who you get. We're going to be advancing Texas. Texas is playing their best basketball this season. Serge Amari Rice, Marcus Carr in the backcourt have been terrific. I do think that you're probably going to have Timmy Allen back at this time. And even if not, Dylan Mitchell has been able to do a solid job down low. You've got weapons upon weapons for Texas. For Mississippi State, if they make it this far, they're dead last in the country in three-point shooting percentage. Pittsburgh outside the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're very streaky with their shooting. They've got someone like a Greg Elliott who's been able to shoot it well from three-point range. But run ends here for the play-in winner. We've got Texas going to the Elite Eight. And now for the West region, Kansas versus UConn. 
we're going to be calling for the upset with UConn because I do think that UConn wins from within. They have been absolutely tremendous with so many guys being above the glass. Andre 3000 Jackson, 6.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, really good versatility. It's a UConn team that, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they've been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to guard the arc as well. 15th in the country. In terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they themselves have someone like a Joey Calcaterra that's able to knock down threes. Jalen Wilson, you can 20 points, 8 rebounds, good versatility. Grady Dick is a good 3-point shooter as well, but that said, I do think that this is rough and for Kansas, they drew the West region, which means that they're a little bit further away from their own faithful. We know that Kansas is going to be able to travel, but it's a little bit more of a neutral court game than they could have possibly gotten as well, so a little bit of that edge gets taken out of it as well. So I do like UConn in this spot. And then we've got the 6-10 Boise State versus TCU matchup, and Give me Boise State, the 10 seed, to be able to make the Elite Eight. I like Tyson Dagenhart, the way that he's been able to play. You've got good three-point shooting with this team, which you don't have with TCU. Mike Miles has been able to do a solid job, but for Boise State, this is a very well-rounded team. They hit the glass well. They do a nice job of being able to stay within themselves. For TCU, they've been dealing with the Eddie Lampkin ordeal as well, so their rebounding takes a little bit of a hit. Their overall depth takes a little bit of a hit as well with Boise State. They need to keep everyone healthy for this to be able to work out, but I do think that Marcus Shaver, a guy that's able to give you 15 points, 5.5 boards, 4.5 assists per game, he can match up with Mike Miles from there. You can have everyone else for Boise State, like Chuzu Agbo, Max Rice, knock down those threes, take you home. Boise State to the Elite Eight. And now we've got our Elite Eight matchups. First off, we've got Alabama versus Arizona. And I'm going to take Arizona to the Final Four. I think that Arizona is going to be able to match up down low. I think Azula Sabels, Umar Balo, they win that battle. And you've got one guy that pops threes into Bellas. You've got one guy that stays down low in Balo. It's an Alabama team that they very, very much rely upon the three-point shot as well. If they even go remotely cold, it is doomsday for them. Now, they do a good job of guarding the, the three-point arc. But at the same time, with Arizona, they've got many ways to beat you. Pelly Larson is a guy that is a little bit more of a designated three-point shooter, but he does a good job of doling it out. Courtney Ramey does a nice job of slashing to the glass along Kirk Risa. Risa has been sometimes a little bit out of sorts, but it feels like he's starting to play his best basketball. He's a guy that rises up to the occasion. Alabama turns the ball over 14 times per game as well, and with both of these teams, they like to play up-tempo, but they've shown the ability to play defense. I think that that rebounding is key. Having those twin bigs and Tabellus and Balo is the difference. I've got Arizona making the final four. Next up, we've got the matchup of Kentucky and Memphis, and I think Oscar Shibway leads Kentucky to the final four. I do like what Kendrick Davis is able to bring to the table, and Kassan Wallace being a freshman is making me a little bit hesitant, but C.J. Frederick has been able to come back into the fold for Kentucky. They don't need him to play 30-plus minutes, but they do need him to be a little bit of a factor, and I think that he is going to be. Antonio Reeves is a guy that takes a load off with his three-point shooting at Memphis. They're a team that they could be a little bit all over the place with their three-point shooting. Kentucky has been able to do a relatively solid job but taking care of the ball in Memphis. They do turn it over 13 and a half times for contest. So I do like Kentucky with Oscar Shibway to be able to redeem what happened last year, go to the Final Four, and prove all those doubters wrong that jumped off the Kentucky bandwagon at the beginning part of the season. Now you've got Houston versus Texas. For Houston, they do a better job on the glass. Texas has one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. He's currently injured in Timmy Allen. Houston does a good job of taking care of the ball. Fewer than 10 turnovers per game. Jamal Shedd has been amazing with that regard. It is a Texas team that's starting to rise up, but 
I've also got the coaching advantage here as well. Calvin Sampson, one of the most trustworthy coaches in all of college basketball. Rodney Terry deserves his flowers for everything that he's done. He is still an interim coach looking to take Texas far. And all right, we've seen it with Steve Fisher before, but I do think that Calvin Sampson is able to outwit Texas. I think that Houston has a little bit more on the glass. Houston has good three-point shooting. By now, Marcus Sasser should certainly be back in the fold. So I like Houston making it to the Final Four, and I think that they're going to be facing off against UConn. UConn in the 4-10 matchup, they just blow Boise State away with regards to the rebounding. I mean, Boise State has some similarities with UConn, but UConn is a far deeper team. You're able to bring in guys like a Joey Calcaterra off the bench are able to pop threes. You've got someone like an Andre 3000 Jackson who's got all that versatility. You've got Donovan Klingon who's able to give you multiple blocks per game, but Dama Sinogo is just unguardable for Tyson Dagenhart. This is a really rough matchup for Boise State, so I do have UConn being able to make it to the Final Four, and now Final Four matchups, Arizona-Kentucky, Houston versus UConn. In Arizona versus Kentucky, I like Arizona because you do have Oscar Sheway for Kentucky. You've got two really good bigs for Arizona. Arizona has a better backcourt. Kirk Kreese is going to be able to redeem what has happened in the past with them, with a lot of people saying that he doesn't rise up in the big moments for Kentucky. I mean, the Xavier Wheeler ordeal just was not terrific for them. They're going to be missing that backcourt depth in this game when they have to go up against the likes of Cedric Henderson, Courtney Ramey, Pele Larson. You've got a bunch of guards that you're able to look at for Arizona. I mean, Antonio Reeves is in three-point shooting is nice, and Arizona is a little bit vulnerable with their three-point shooting defense, but I don't think you get enough three-point shooting for Kentucky to overcome the fact that you've got Balo and Tabellis. We're going to do a good job against Oscar Sheboy. I like Arizona. I think Arizona faces off with Houston in the national title game. For Houston, they are one of the few teams in the country that are going to be able to match up with UConn on the glass, and they are the more disciplined team with the ball, with having Jamal Shedd doing a nice job, 10 points, Five assists, two turnovers per game. Now, Tristan Newton has been solved for UConn as well, but UConn's backcourt has shown to be a little bit wobbly from time to time when they go up against South defenses. And Houston, they are that. And then some, you've got so many guys that are able to shoot it from three for Houston. Jarris Walker, his versatility, he'll be able to match up with Adama Sonogo. I do think for that for Houston. The difference in this game as well is once again going to be coaching. You've got one of the best coaches in the country in Calvin Sampson and a guy in Mr. Hurley on the flip side that I don't know if I want to invest in them being able to make the national title game. So I am going to go with a Houston versus Arizona national championship game and we're taking Arizona to win it all. Tabello and Ballo, I think, is one of the best duos in this tournament. I think that many people give Kirk Carissa a little bit too much flag for what happened in the NCAA tournament last year when he was dealing with an injury. He should have been protected from himself, but Tommy Lloyd comes in from Gonzaga. He knows how to run a really good program. He built a lot of what Gonzaga is today. This Arizona team is able to play fast. They're able to play games in the 60s, as we saw in the Pac-12 tournament. It is a Houston team that is going to be able to do a solid job on the glass themselves, but I don't think that they're able to quite match up with the versatility of Tubello along with Ballo, and I do think that for Houston, in the end, they're going to fall just a little bit short, as we have seen with Houston. Sometimes when they go cold from three, that can lead to a little bit of a rough ordeal, and do keep in mind that this is also going to be a Final Four that if Houston is able to get there, this is going to be in Houston, Texas, so it is a little bit of a home court advantage for Houston. I am aware of that. I am still willing to fade it. I am going to have Arizona cutting down the nets and winning the national title. So 
That is my bracket special right here on Coast Coast Seeps, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gnn underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters EM, maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. We are both firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Don't worry if you miss any of the betting analysis from the round of 64 games. We're going to have every single pick for every single game, every single day on the podcast moving forward. We're going to have guests all throughout, so a little bit more of a normal show tomorrow, but I know that you guys always request brackets, so today we gave you that gosh darn bracket. I appreciate you tuning in, and I'll be with you guys every single day on this podcast during the offseason as well. That is included, so I'll chat at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.